are listening to the official podcast of The Congregation, a place of discovery with Pastor Tim Story. Good morning, Congregation family. I am so excited uh, to be able to give this the word this morning. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you. I can't see you, but it's great that you're here. And uh, talk with us in the chat. Let us know uh, where you're from. Um, a lot of people continue to log on throughout the service. So as you guys come on, um, you know, ask for live prayer. We have a great opportunity to ask for live prayer. So definitely do that. Uh, today is a special Sunday. Today is the last Sunday of the month for January. Uh, all month long, we have been teaching about the comeback. Who feels like they needed a comeback in 2021, at least in one area of your life? Uh, I know I did. Um, and so this is kind of the time, January 31st, February 1st, where people who made resolutions start dropping off. And so I read a statistic recently that by February 1st, 80% of people quit on their New Year's resolutions. Isn't that crazy? And they can actually see it because what happens is like a lot of gyms and a lot of lifestyle companies will get a surge of people signing up for products and services in January. And then February 1st, it plummets. And so everyone kind of quits. And so a lot of so sociologists and psychologists have talked about this. Why during February 1st do people start quitting their New Year's resolutions? And the number one reason is that many people's New Year's resolutions are arbitrary. So what they'll do is they'll just make a decision. They'll say, hey, January 1st, uh, this year's the year I'm going to lose the weight. Or this year's the year I'm going to get the promotion. Or this year's the year I'm going to make more money. But often what happens is they don't connect their resolution with an emotional reason that's strong enough to get them through the year. So what a lot of psychologists will tell people is that if you want to keep your resolution, what you want to do is you want to connect that resolution to something meaningful in your life. So for example, if you want to make more money this year, you're going to make more money because you're starting a fund for your kid's college. Or if you're going to lose weight, you're doing it because you want to be healthy so you're around for your grandkids. So the more emotionally connected or the more meaningful your goal is and the more comprehensive the vision that you have for your life is, the more likely you are going to be to achieve that vision. And it's kind of an interesting idea. So the title of my message today is called Aim High. Someone say Aim High. And so I want to read from Paul today, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Uh, turn me your Bibles. If you're watching us online, uh, just go to the Bible tab on our website, and I will read this for us today. It's 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I really believe that this is going to bless you this morning. So this is Paul. He says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who completes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating air. 
No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. One of my favorite shows on television is uh, American Ninja Warrior. Uh, and it's just kind of a funny show where they take amateur people and they put them through like all these uh, different obstacle courses. And if you guys don't remember, American Ninja Warrior was based on a show, I think it was a Japanese show, where they would take regular Japanese people and they would put them in these challenges. And it used to air when I was a kid at like 1 a.m. when I shouldn't have been up. And it was so funny because the show was called like Wipeout or something. It's, it, it was like 30 minutes of all these regular people who have never trained before going through these challenges and just failing miserably. <laughs> and so the show was literally just people falling. And it was the funniest thing. At 12, 13, 14, I thought it was hilarious because you would see these amateur people who were be putting through these obstacle courses. And it was almost like they're running aimlessly through the course. You can totally tell that they're all out of shape. They're all overweight. They're all trying to make it. They're all dry heaving. And you can tell such a difference between someone who is amateur and then a show like American Ninja Warrior where you almost have like pro people who are doing incredible things. And so that's what Paul is kind of talking about. He's talking about the race of faith and that in life we take on goals, we take on certain races that we want to do. And so when we take on one of those things, he's saying we don't want to be an amateur. We don't want to be like one of those contestants on the show Wipeout where we're beating the air and running around in a circle. That's not good. But what we want to be is we want to be professional athletes. We want to be professionally in the business of achieving the vision that God has set for our lives. And so that takes training. That takes responsibility. That takes sacrifice, as Paul says, beating your body. That takes getting up and doing the hard work and sometimes not getting the payoff in the immediate. And he says that it's worth it in the end because... Regular athletes, they compete for a prize. There's always money at the end, or they might get a reef, or they might get recognition. But for Christians, when we run the race of faith, and when we take on our faith like an athlete takes on a, a training, we run a race that is so much more profoundly better than a prize. Because what we gain is something everlasting. And so what's interesting about Paul is that Paul is a person who is always connecting the Christian walk to a bigger Christian vision about what God is doing in the world and what God wants for you and me. And so it makes me think about this idea of why. There's a book called Why uh, that's very popular, and it's a business book. And so the premise of the book is, what is your why? Is your why strong enough? And Paul is kind of pushing us in the same direction. He's saying that what is your why? What is the vision of your life? Because the vision has to be strong enough to be worth the sacrifice of training hard so you might obtain the goal. I remember there was a teacher I had named Mrs. Atnip. She was my ninth grade English teacher. Super, super sweet lady. Uh, I went to a Catholic high school and she was... Uh, she was a Jewish teacher, and she was the, the sweetest lady of all time. And so she taught me how to write. 
I, I tell this story sometimes. Uh, in ninth grade, my favorite two classes was math and history. Math was easy and history was interesting because you're just reading about what people had already done. But writing was not my area. I hated English. It was really tough. And I just didn't like it. It was, it was complicated. As, as hard as I tried, I could never get higher than a B for some reason. And uh, I just didn't like it. And so I think that Mrs. Atnip realized that I did not like English because I had a hard time achieving the ability to write. And so I remember we had a conversation one time, and she kind of challenged the class. And she kind of pushed us to say, why work hard to learn to write? And so the first answers were, I want a good grade. And then she would be like, why? Well, what does a good grade get you? Well, it gets me a good GPA. OK, so why do you care about a GPA? You're 16 years old. It's just a random number. Why do you care? Well, I need to get into college, because that seems to be the, what everyone's pushing me to do. And so college is important. And so you can't go to college without a good GPA. So I got to get an A in this class so I get the good grades, so I can get, into get the high GPA so I get into college. And it's like, okay, so why do you want to go to college? Well, I would love to go to college because people who go to college have good jobs. Okay, so like, say you get a good job. What kind of job do you want to get? Do you want to just like have a job that you hate that makes a lot of money? Well, no. I want to have a, I want to have a meaningful job. Okay, so what does a meaningful job mean to you? 16-year-old Stefan. Well, I want to make a difference. I want, I want my job to mean something. I want to make a difference in my job. Okay, why do you want to make a difference? And at some, it was a kind of an interesting, it was an interesting conversation that I had with her because what she was doing was she was pushing me on my vision for my life. And she was directly connecting the work I had to do in ninth grade English class with a broader purpose that I wanted to achieve. And so for her and me, while we were dialoguing, it became clear to me that I wanted to do something meaningful. I wanted my life to count for something. And in order to do that, I had to know how to communicate. And that required me to learn how to write a five-paragraph essay. And it's an interesting story, but it was also a profound experience because often where we struggle with is we have a lot of good ideas in life, to quote Pastor Tim, but God ideas are rare. And so I think that's one of the challenges of being a human being. We have a lot of good ideas. There's a lot of good things we could do, but without those ideas being directly connected to a broader, more meaningful vision, it's very easy to drop off. It's easy to not meet your goals. It's easy to give up on the resolutions. It's easy to feel like you're aimlessly punching air, as Paul says. Well, what is required? You're going to need a bigger vision for your life. Translation, what are you aiming for? What are you aiming for? And it's a question that I think human beings are essentially created not to have a lot of good answers to. I think left to our own devices, we struggle in this area. And we are constantly always looking for what our vision should be. I think that is very true. But part of the problem is we're finite beings. 
And so as humans, we're only as creative as to what our experiences have taught us. So if you're from a certain neighborhood, you often picture your vision or your purpose for your life as it relates to that neighborhood. You're kind of limited by your own experiences, right? If your parents had a certain relationship, all you know is that kind of relationship. So you begin to want that kind of relationship, but maybe you should trade it out. Maybe you should get a bigger vision. Uh, if you're around certain people with certain kinds of jobs, you start to think maybe that's the job I want. If you go to a certain church and you're around a, a certain kind of mentality, you end up wanting and living out that mentality. And so human beings, I think, naturally have a hard time thinking about vision and purpose in a meaningful way by themselves, which is also why I think that in Genesis 1, when God created humans, he created us to be in relationship with God. And that is super important. You know, everyone knows the story. God, a good God out of love, creates creation, right, in six days and rests on the seventh. And so he creates creation and he creates this world and he puts animals in there and he puts people in there. And what is the first thing that God does after he creates all creation and he rests? He puts human beings in charge of creation. It's kind of a wild idea. After reading chapter 2 of Genesis, you might question that decision because everything doesn't go very well. But that's what he does. He puts Adam and Eve in charge of the garden. But he also gives them instructions. And he gives them his will. And so God creates creation in such a way where human beings are supposed to have dominion over creation, but we have dominion over creation as it relates to our ability to reflect God's glory and take care of creation and take care of each other through the reflection of God's will on earth. And so the problem comes in the story of Genesis when Adam decides to do his will and not God's will. When he starts to have ideas that are mostly related to his insecurity and his flawed humanness, it's not so much that he just has ideas, but it comes from not a great place. He becomes insecure about the knowledge he doesn't know. And so when he's tempted by Satan, then he kind of falls for it because Satan plays to his insecurity. Satan says, you don't know. He plays to his ego. He plays to his insecurity. And then Adam begins to lose sight of God's will, and Adam starts to try to take control of his own situation. He starts to try to bridle his own ego and insecurities. And that's when he starts to make bad decisions. And so that says a lot, that as humans, we were designed to know God, and we were designed to get God's vision of our lives from God. Well, why? Because God's vision is bigger than our vision. How many would agree that God can see more things than we can? How many would agree that God's purpose is bigger than our purpose? There's a lot of things I could do and achieve, but I have a sneaking suspicion that God can do and achieve more than me. His purpose is bigger. My purpose is to be a human. Jesus' purpose is to save the world. Bigger purpose. Different purpose. And then finally, I think you need a lot of strength to pull off a big vision. Who would say that Jesus' strength is bigger and stronger than our strength? 
Well, isn't that true? For when we are weak, he is strong. Because often God will give us a task and a vision that we are not fully equipped to deal with at the moment we are given the task. But that doesn't mean we can't do it. That just means that we have to partner with God. It's the same kind of idea that we saw with Adam. Adam was supposed to rule earth. He was supposed to have dominion over the earth as a steward, not of a mad king, not of a person who's taking everything and, and using it for his own glory. That's, uh, that's idolatry. That's literally what idolatry means. A lot of people, when they use the term idolatry, I think they use it in like a spooky way. It, like they use it as like we're all like worshiping idols. That's not tr- like idolatry is, is we decide to work in service of anything that isn't God's will. And so it's a real thing. So you spend your time working to serve your own ego. That's idolatry. You spend your time unable to let go and of maybe trauma or something experiencing you happen in your life. So you take all this time to serve your bitterness and anger and animosity and envy. That's idolatry. And so we go wrong as human beings when we stop looking at God and we stop trying to live out his will and then we start being idolatrous. When we start serving our own little problems and we lose sight of the distinction. And it's an interesting idea because stewardship, I think, comes at the grip of all this. And that's Adam's call to be a good steward, to be someone who takes care of, to be someone who puts his own desires on the side and and is supposed to be the bigger man. He's supposed to be the person who is taking care of creation along with humans. That's what stewardship means. It, it means to put yourself in a situation where you are in control, but you're, you're in control in such a way where you're serving the greater good. So what you're doing is not only good for you, but it's good for your spouse, it's good for your family, it's good for your neighbor, and it's good for your church. It's about, having, it's about connecting your own life to a broader sense of responsibility and vision in a way that's meaningful, that you can touch and actually will affect the outcome of your life and the lives of those people around you. Amen? And so when it comes to having an aim in life, it's so important that we get, we, we understand our own limitations as human beings and that sometimes we're going to get things wrong. We understand that there's a lot of good ideas that we could have. And it's also up to us, I think, to say yes to Jesus in the midst of that and to begin to see how saying yes to Jesus can transform your life. And it's, it's such an amazing thing just as a pastor to see somebody who really says yes to Jesus. It doesn't matter if they're 18 or 25 or 34 or 60 or 75. You can see somebody, and when they really say yes to Jesus, I mean, it literally transforms their life. I mean, it, it's complete transformation. And you start to kind of, you, you can ask yourself, like, why are they being transformed so radically? Like what, like, what is happening to this person? Well, part of what's happening is when they say yes to Jesus, they're not only saying yes to Jesus, they're saying yes to certain things that come with saying yes to Jesus. So when you say yes to Jesus, what you are also doing is you're saying yes to God's purpose. 
So you're saying what I know about myself might not be the whole story. Because we all live a story. We're all living a story. I remember I, I met a, a friend of mine who was a, a girl not that long ago who I went to college with, and she was always like the pretty girl in college, and she was kind of living her little bachelorette life, which is cute when you're 22. But <laughs> then I met her at 30, and she was still living her little bachelorette life, and it was a little weird. You know? Or like, I, I, not that long ago, I met a, a friend of mine, too, who's, who was an artist in college. And so they were Mrs. Artsy. She, everything she did was so artsy. Everything was a poem. Everything was a piece of art. And then I talked to her a year ago, and she's still Mrs. Artsy. She still hadn't had a job yet. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're 30 years old, and you haven't had a normal job? What economy are you living in? The rest of us are out here hustling. Who can afford to be an artist in 2021? Do it on your own time. Some of us have to build things. You know what I mean? And you, you, you see that and some people, they get stuck living in their own little purpose. And when they miss the point that saying yes to Jesus means saying yes to Jesus's purpose over your purpose because you, your purpose might not be the best purpose because you might be missing some things. And so there's something healing when you can go to your creator and you say, I got 60% of it, God. I need you to fill in the rest. And how powerful that can be when God gives you the rest. There's an amazing story in scripture about a rich man who meets Jesus. And this is such a, one of my f most interesting stories of scripture to me personally. One as a male, but also as someone who likes business or someone who, who's big on financial planning, Jesus meets this guy who kind of has it all together. He's a guy that I think we would three dudes respect. You meet a guy and he's got it together. He has, you know, to, to have money, in that world in the first century was not something that was very normal. So it was 10 times harder to make good money and 100 times harder to be a self-made man in the first century than it was today. And this guy was that. He was a self-made guy. He was a merchant. He had a lot of money. And so he had spent his life collecting things, and he had spent his life making himself into the image that he thought he needed to make himself into. And so he's a collector, he's a money guy, he's a domination guy, he's the guy who pulls things off and puts things in order and makes everything what he, they need to be. And so he meets Jesus, and, and so now this rich man also wants to collect the kingdom of heaven because he had collected everything else. He had, he had amassed wealth and built businesses, and he had been checking the things off his list, and now, now he wanted to get the heaven thing sorted out. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, how must I enter the kingdom of heaven? It's like a brilliant conversation between these two men. And Jesus says, give all your possessions away and come follow me. That is a tough one for him. There's a couple things in this story I want to mention. The first one is that this answer is personal. A lot of people read this and they don't understand that Jesus was ministering to him. Because Jesus is a minister. So he understands this individual. 
He's not just giving like random advice that we should all give our possessions away and go join a commune. He's talking to this specific guy. And he is saying, you have lived your whole life collecting things. You have lived your whole life amassing wealth. And you have developed yourself into this person who can do this. And you have created tools. And you have built this vision. You have spent all this time becoming this person. And he's saying that what you need to enter God's kingdom, translation, what I want to give you as God, this next stage of your life transcends earthly possessions. It's bigger than that. So I'm going to challenge you to change your mentality, man who's collected everything, and tell you that what I want to give you, you cannot receive unless you are willing to give up that old vision. The vision I want to give you is more important. It's more qualitatively meaningful to who you are, the idea that Jesus is the Savior, the idea that your life is meaningful, the idea that God is creating a new world in and through Jesus and that you will be resurrected with Christ and that we can live as Christians in generosity for justice, for freedom, and that God is going to take all of creation into this new world, this new creation. And you had spent all your time amassing wealth from this world, and I want to take you into the new world. And so what you have now and what you've achieved, it's not going to carry you in. And so you're going to have to let that go in order to receive what I have for you. It's a really profound moment that Jesus could go to this human and fully see him and fully recognize who he is as a human being and say, if you want the kingdom of God, you're going to have to aim higher. And if you're going to aim higher, you're going to have to let go of your current aim. You're going to have to let it burn it off of you. You're going to have to let your desire to keep up with the Joneses burn off of you. You're going to have to let your ego burn off of you. You're going to have to let that part of you that is pushing you towards consumption all the time, it's never enough, burn off of you. You're going to need to let those things get off of you so you could receive something so much better. And so Jesus is essentially telling this man, how high is your aim? You've spent your life living this way and you've done well. But now you're asking me to live here. And yes, it's going to require that you give something up. But what you're going to get is so much better. And the end of that story is that the man walks away disgruntled. And he's sad. Because that was probably the first time he ever met somebody that really understood who he was. Because he was the man. And so he'd walk away. He'd walk, everywhere he went, he was the man. He, he was known as the rich man. And so Jesus was probably the first man to call his life into question. And say, you've done a lot. But what I have, you cannot receive unless you're willing to let go of the things that got you here. What is your aim? 
And I love this because I think that in life, aim matters so much. You can, you can figure out a leader by what their aim is. It's really incredible. When someone has, a, when someone has an aim of their life, when they have a specific thing, it, it, it's so incredible how someone who might not be charismatic, they might not have all the accolades, they might not have all the skill set, but with a great aim and a commitment to that aim, they can often achieve more than somebody who has all the gifts, but they don't have the aim to get there. And so that is what I believe Jesus is challenging challenging us to do is when we say yes to him what we are doing is we're saying yes to his aim we are saying yes to his purpose we're saying yes to his grace we're saying yes to his vision we are saying yes to what he wants to do in our lives how he wants to use us and how we can partner with him in resurrection we talk about this a lot at uh, the congregation, and uh, we're called the congregation family. And so people often ask, well, why call it a family? And the word church literally comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means called together. And so a church is not a building. It's, it's not a location. It's not a 501c3. It's not, it's not an organization. It's not even really a community in one way because there are a lot of communities there are a lot of networks. There are a lot of different communities. But the church is different. The church is a people made up of individuals who have all said yes to God. And in them saying yes, they have been brought into this new tribe. And in the middle of that tribe is Jesus. He is the head of our family. And Jesus has a purpose on earth. He had a purpose when he came to earth. He didn't just come at 30 and aimlessly walk around. He came with vision and purpose. And he was here to do the will of his father. And that was to redeem and rescue the world. And so that's what Jesus did. He spent three years preaching and announcing God's kingdom. He spent three years opening up tables and inviting everyone he could to come hear about what God was doing. He spent years healing people and putting people back together and telling people that in the same way God has put you back together, the same way God is going to put everything back together. He goes to the cross and dies, believing his Father will raise him. He goes with the sins of the world but he also goes with the hope of the new creation. And that's what happens. When God raises him from the dead, it was not only the moment where we experience forgiveness, but it was the moment that this broken world, where so many of us struggle aimlessly, ends. And it was also the moment where God's new world where hope and justice and freedom and the presence of God and love wins. And so now, God is asking us, as people of faith, to live in that new world. And so when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to his people. We say yes to the vision that God has for his people. And that's to live 
with justice and peace and freedom in love to start living in God's new world now. And that's why the church is a place where anyone can come. That's why anybody can come to this place and feel God's presence. It doesn't matter how far away you are. It doesn't matter if you're watching in your car or in your home or at work. It doesn't matter if in your bed. It doesn't matter if you're with 10 people or two people or by yourself. God's presence is real. And it reaches you wherever you are. And when you say yes to Jesus, you are not just receiving the forgiveness of sins. You are receiving an aim. You are receiving a true vision for your life that you can live your story in God's story. And you can finally unlock all the things you've been missing. And you can finally find home. I just want to pray for everybody before I end this message. Father, thank you so much for every person who is listening today. Thank you so much for every soul, every person, every dream, every gift. Father, I just want to say thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you. Thank you that you have called all of us together to be people of faith, to be a part of your people. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to live our story in your story to find our vision in your vision. Thank you for calling us to partner with you to be people of love, of mercy, of compassion, of justice, of freedom, of peace. Thank you for letting us bring heaven wherever we go. Father, empower us this year to aim high. Let's aim high in our personal lives in our financial life, in our spiritual life, in every area of our life. Because, Father, you don't exist in one area. You exist in all areas. You didn't just call us personally to you. You called our whole lives. You called our bodies, our finances, our spirit, our gifts, so that we might live in accordance with your will and that we might see the goodness of you reflected in every corner of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Congregation Podcast. For more information about the congregation, including gathering times, locations, and how you can give and support the community, check us out online at www.congregationchurch.com.